Hey, this is Lux Narayan, CEO and co-founder of Stream Alive. And if you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should be listening to the Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven-figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. Today, I'm speaking with a newfound friend of mine, Lux Narayan. Lux believes that so what do you do is a tough question to ask and should certainly not be answered with the current title on your LinkedIn profile. In 2021, he published Name, Place, Animal Thing, an Amazon bestseller to help people answer this dreaded question. He enjoys mining the intersections of various spheres of life and work. Speaking of which, he is the CEO and co-founder at Stream Alive, a category-defining, fun, and engaging web application that helps live streams and live events on Zoom, YouTube Live, and everything in between literally come alive. With the ability to track, increase, and convert engagement simply through the live chat, Stream Alive's goal is to help presenters and creators take their audiences from bored away to blown away. Prior to founding Stream Alive, a, and prior to a creative and personal break, Lux was a co-founder and the CEO at Unmetric, right up to their acquisition by Sision, the world's largest earned media platform that's now a part of Platinum Equity, a $20 billion plus private equity group. He is a perpetual learner of stuff from origami and molecular gastronomy to stand up and improv comedy. Oh, this is gonna be a really fun interview. <laughs> he enjoys reading obituaries and has given a talk on the TED main stage on lessons from 2000 obituaries. This talk has been viewed over 2 million times and translated into every major spoken language. I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I am so excited for you to hear today's conversation with Lux. And really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or maybe you just want more and you understand the importance of having a coach, to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That'll give you a quick application that will lead to a personal phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. Okay, let's do this. Lux, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Stacey. And thanks for that lovely introduction. Thank you. No, I got to tell you, you are very diversified. And I'm really excited for our listeners to get to know you. So let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey. You know, for some people, it's a roller coaster. For some people, it's an e-ride, right? And then for others, it's... Um, jump off the cliff and hope I can build my plane fast enough to learn how to fly. <laughs> so what's your journey been like? Wow. <laughs> I, I think the roller coaster adequately captures, you know, the entrepreneurial journey for me, for sure. And, and I'm, I'm willing to bet for almost every other 
entrepreneur, right? I mean, each time you feel, um, you know, the lows of a lows and, and the highs of a high, you you kind of know that one's going to proceed and come after the other. So that that would be very, very typical. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's, it's also that my journey with Stream Alive right now and with, with Unmetric prior, uh, interestingly stemmed out of a couple of uh, very low lows uh, from where I, I literally pivoted into what what became uh, category defining companies in some ways, and and some of it was pure dumb luck. Uh, but I think the roller coaster analogy would probably fit best over here. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so what made you build Unmetric, and then and then decide to allow it be acquired? All right, so there's a very long version. There's a very short version. I'm going to go for the in-between version. Of that here. works. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've been a, I mean, I've been working for more than a couple of decades now, and about roughly 17 of those years have been in tech entrepreneurship. So, in the middle of 2005, uh, I, I kind of joined a very dear friend from college to co-found a company in the data backup space, and uh, around. 2010, uh, I was leading our sales and marketing efforts, and therefore I did what every single company was doing around that time, which was, you know, set up a Facebook page, set up a Twitter handle, and kind of put content out there, right? So this is mm-hmm. 2009-2010. And then I, I hit a point, like, what do you say about data backups? I mean, they're like root canal treatments in information technology. Everyone probably needs them, but doesn't necessarily enjoy them. So it's one of those boring, functional, utilitarian parts of IT that is, is, is not as sexy as the other things you see. So what do you talk about? And I found myself hanging around what, um, you know, Symantec and a whole bunch of antivirus companies and firewall companies were doing on social media saying, let me take a leaf off their book in terms of what they do to engage audiences. And that translated into an aha moment saying, um, I can't be the only person who has this pain point who wants to know what their peers are doing and to learn from them. And that uh, kind of translated into a product, very corny name. It was called Eyes and Feet, Online Eyeballs, Offline Footfalls. I, I don't know what I was thinking or consuming at that point, but the <laughs> the whole idea was uh, help small businesses like restaurants and bars and spas where, where people are very vocal about their experiences on social media. Mm-hmm. Given comparative intelligence on on what happens in their neighborhoods on uh, Facebook, Twitter, at that time, Groupon and Foursquare and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So there's comparative intelligence for small businesses on social media. I made the cardinal mistake of product development at that point, building a product. I, I, I used to live in India then, uh, moved to the States with Unmetric, which pivoted from eyes and feet in, mm-hmm. in 2013. But at that point, I was essentially sitting in the southern part of India in a place called Chennai, building a product for restaurant owners in Chicago and New York without speaking to a single one of them. Oh, wow. Dumb, I know, but I didn't know that at that point. Hmm. Uh, Long story short, met a whole bunch of restaurant owners who loved our product but wouldn't cough up $30 a month to use it because uh, they didn't have the time of the day to work on analytics at that point. They, They were busy running the books. They were busy waiting on tables when the staff didn't show up. This was the last thing on their minds. Right. And, and um, you know, I know you talk a lot about pivots on, on in your uh, podcast. So so uh, with your permission, I'd love to talk about how this pivoted into Unmetric. Is that okay? Absolutely. So this happened. I was I was in um, Southeast Asia talking to Citibank saying, you folks work with a lot of restaurants. Can you introduce uh, eyes and feet to restaurants? They said, uh, no, we don't. But you know, you do competitive intelligence on social. Can you do competitive intelligence on banks? And I said, no, we don't. <laughs> and and it, it, it was in retrospect, pretty, pretty weird. But I came to, to DC and met Capital One who and asked them the same question. And they asked if you had competitive intelligence on what other banks were doing over here in the US. And we said, no, we don't do banks. And by absolute serendipitous luck, um, landed up here in New York and met American Express on Vesey Street and asked them the same question. You've got Amex Open Forum. Can you introduce us to small businesses? And they said, no, but uh, can you give us competitive intelligence on what other banks are doing on social media? And the third time was when it hit me saying, we should be doing analytics for big brands. So we pivoted from a focus on small businesses who would pay us at best $30 a month 
into re-engineering the entire platform into something that had a less corny name. So it became unmetric, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more features and uh, to businesses who would pay us a minimum of $3,000 a month. Nice. Right. And and that's really the birth of the company. It 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 came from almost abject failure in in failing to read the market and building a product for a segment that that never needed that product. But I think that was kind of a stepping stone or a rite of passage, so to speak, for us to discover the opportunity that that was there in Unmetric. And, and so basically, what I'm hearing, Lux, is you you designed a product that. Um, you weren't sure if there was a need for, you saw the need, but you you weren't sure if the people who had the need would step into it and embrace it. And then through a course of trials and errors and tribulations through your journey, you found a larger need, even though you were resisting it, you found a larger need and allowed yourself to embrace flexibility and then redesign it to then a hundred times your earning potential, right? I think so many people, when they're in business, you know, they put blinders on and it's this way or no way. And they uh, refrain from exercising flexibility and they keep hitting their head on a wall and they don't understand why it's so hard. Um, that, That pivot you made, was it out of necessity or was it out of the open and the, the openness to, to really see the need out there? At that point, it was out of necessity because we'd spent, um, you know, two years of our life building our product for a segment that we then were rapidly coming to the conclusion didn't exist at that point. Uh, yeah. it, it came in later. Sometimes there's a time and place for everything that wasn't the time and place for eyes and feet. So at that point, it came out of abject necessity. And, and also, um, it's it's a pretty soul-sucking feeling where, you know, the air is literally sucked out of the room when you've, you've been so sold on something. And, and, and what you say is, is, is beautiful because you had these blinders on and you said, this is what we're going after. We believe in this. We subscribe. It's because you kind of need that as a startup. You don't need to suspend disbelief and go after something. But it's it's great when you open those blinders. We hadn't opened it the first two times that that fate came knocking along, saying there's a better door out here, and and it's open if if you just you know push a little bit and and knock. Yeah. But I guess uh, fate was kind to us, and it knocked a third time. So that's when we <laughs> kind of woke up. Uh, but, but yeah, that that kind of you know woke me up to exactly what you mentioned that it's important not to have these blinders, and that was the biggest lesson that came out of it uh, because I try to keep that you know, openness to alternative viewpoints and alternative things that might be happening that that might be better or more interesting opportunities uh, even even after that. And I think that's that's been key to finding new ideas and new businesses afterwards. Yeah. In I fact, love. even Stream Alive came through a similar exercise, which was from keeping your eyes and ears open and just shutting up and listening sometimes. And that 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 was exactly where I wanted to go. So so you you did the the entrepreneurial dream move. You sold your business to a large conglomerate, right? And then sat back and how did Stream Alive happen? I mean, Stream Alive is a brilliant concept. It's 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 great for content providers, for coaches, for anybody who who really does a live platform that 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 wishes to share their expertise with others. And, and, and I'm really curious about that birth because one of the most brilliant moves a business owner can make is find a need and fill it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this, this stream alive journey, and, and let's, let's really be honest, the, the technology game is like a shark tank, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so how did stream alive's path happen? Okay, again, there's a small, medium, large, and I'm going to go with the medium length of that. Um, you, you mentioned two things. You talked about coaches and you talked about birth. And uh, spoiler alert, so let me get to the to the end right away. I mean, Stream Alive was born from six coach parents. And I'll explain how that happened in a second. Yeah? Uh, so, so let's actually transition from the Unmetric story since you're talking about that. And yes, towards the end of 2019, Unmetric got acquired. 
so I describe our journey as, you know, from a bedroom in Chennai to a boardroom in Copenhagen, because that's exactly what happened. We were acquired by a Danish company, which had previously been acquired by a conglomerate here in the U.S., which three weeks after our acquisition was acquired by a private equity group. And the, and the reason I bring that up is because um, we moved from being in the beginning of October, a small independent company of 75 people into by the end of October, having a parent, grandparent and a great grandparent in the corporate. <laughs> so so, so that, that can get pretty crazy. And, and then, you know, sometimes fate hands you these lessons in, in perspective. Uh, I thought that's the craziest thing that, I'd have to navigate with my team over the next few months. But in, in November, we had a very crazy medical emergency with our older son who were to be hospitalized in, in, in Berlin with a rare autoimmune disease that suddenly struck him and then airlifted in an air ambulance into the States and hospitals a couple of months. Uh, he's, he's, he's fine now, so, so it ended in a good way. But suddenly all those things that that were big in my head a week ago and, you know, things that I was worried about navigating ceased to be so important in, in just about a week. And after that, my whole perspective changed for the next two months with something else being a priority. I was, of course, focused on the transition for our team because I wanted to ensure that all my 75 colleagues were placed adequately in the new company. And that happened in May. Then, frankly, I was just too burnt out. I mean, with, with everything that was happening on the personal end and navigating this, I just said I needed a break. So I left and took a break. Uh, it took me less than a month to figure that I've forgotten the ability to stay still. So uh, I, I kind of used that newfound time to, to write a book which has been in my head for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And I know you can't uh, see it on the podcast but that, that's a book you mentioned it name place animal thing yeah. which helps people answer the question so what do you do so it's a non-fiction book written like a parable you know like like monk who sold his ferrari and and that genre of books yeah uh, the reason I, I i shamelessly bring up the book is because uh, at that point i didn't know the first thing about writing editing marketing a book and uh, that's when I signed up for six different classes by six different coaches on how to write, edit, market, publish, get Amazon to, to bless your book and stuff. Mm -hmm. And these were run on, on Facebook Live, on Zoom, on YouTube Live, on different platforms. Class sizes were as less as a dozen students to as much as 1,200 students for the Amazon marketing course. Right? These were delivered over 56 live streams on all these platforms. Wow. While, so, so I literally binged on 56 live streams in a period of 90 days. And that's where I saw a recurrent pattern across each and every one of these. The chat would fly by faster than the presenter could, could kind of see. Um, all hell would break loose when the moderator or the presenter asked a question like, hey, where are you joining us from? Put it in the chat. And people love to geo-identify themselves. They would enthusiastically respond only to be ignored. Mm -hmm. which didn't strike me as normal. You wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you a question and then altogether ignore your answer because that, that would be very, very rude of me, right? And vice versa. Right. But we do that in a group setting because there is no better alternative. I mean, if you ask a group of 50 people a question, uh, like where are you joining from? And, every, and you acknowledged each and every one of the 50 people, you would sound like a geography teacher. Right? <laughs> so, right. so, so, so we, we kind of, because we can't address it, we don't we don't get into it. And that became the seed of what we do at Streamer Live, saying, can we use technology to kind of help address this? Uh, this is one pain point we saw. The second was sometimes people would be asked to go to a website or something to answer a question and participate in a poll and stuff like that, which is almost like you and I meeting at a conference and me saying, hey, Stacey, um, what do you think about this? And you're about to answer. And I say, no, no, hang on. There's a ballot box outside next to the cafeteria, go put your answer out there because that's where I want to see your answer. It doesn't work that way, right? Yeah. So we said, instead of getting people to go to a product, can we get a product to come to the people? So can we engineer a product that allows people to simply participate with the chat, whether it's on YouTube or Zoom or Microsoft Teams and read that with a layer of artificial intelligence to figure out what context they're saying this in to actually give a visual voice to include the audience. And, and that became Stream Alive. Wow. So, so my question to you is, are you a tech person that started a business or a business person that started a tech company? I think it's the latter. I'm, I'm more of a business person who is constantly aware and attuned to stuff that is happening around, fortunately. And uh, through the last few tech journeys, fortunately, also has a bunch of people. Have, so our CTO is the CTO at Unmetric. 
had left and he's our CTO over here. So once we have a product idea, like we did at Stream Alive, uh, I had the wherewithal to assemble a team of colleagues and co-founders who could help make that happen. And a lot of them are from our previous uh, journey in, in the previous companies as well. So I think that's something that's come from experience over the years, which allows you to translate this idea or product vision into something that people are actually using at, mm -hmm. at, at on this day. Yeah, so I'd really like for our listeners to grab that golden nugget that, that you just dropped down. A lot, of, a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, independent sales professionals that are out there grinding and hustling to create what they want, they're, they're expert technicians, right? And they actually most, most create a glorified job for themselves. They put themselves in a box and Unfortunately, or fortunately, we're not great at everything a business needs, right? So many people try to be the bottle washer, the, the accounting person, the bookkeeper, the deliverable, the admin person. And reality is, if we just stayed in our lane, if we did what we do really well, and then hire really great people to do everything else, life would be easier income would be greater and business would be a lot more fun. So that's why I asked the question, were you a tech person that started a business or a business person that started a tech company? Because, you know, I know my lane. I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I also don't know what I don't know. I am a really good speaker, a really good coach and a really good trainer. Outside of that, I have an entire support team that does everything else that, that fuels the business, right? So if, if our listeners can do any favor for themselves, take a look at what Lux built, not once, but twice, right? Now, now I'm sure there were trials and tribulations and failures and a lot of feedback through that journey. However, he stepped in, had a vision, hired people to implement the vision right and then hired other people to run with the vision stay in your lane and business will be more fun more profitable and a lot easier is that fair i, I couldn't agree more i mean um, and, and it's you know, in in this era of generalists it's very tempting to to try and do so much more and bite off more than you can chew yeah um, for example, I understand marketing technology, but my understanding is is not as deep as somebody who works exclusively in that. Yeah. And while it's tempting to dabble and say that you want to do stuff, it's it's okay to know a bit and then get someone else who who can spend more time, energy, effort, and probably understands it a lot better than you. It's, yeah. it's the same thing with the technology as well. I understand some parts of technology. I can't code to save my life right now. And um, <laughs> as long as you've networked and invested in the right relationships over the years, in this case, our CTO is a co-founder. Our, our, uh, you know, I've got three other co-founders who are first and foremost friends, mm -hmm. uh, second co-travelers in previous journeys, and third colleagues in this new one. And and I think having spent time together riding those roller coasters, as you called it previously. Um, allows you to, to, you know, do this journey stripped of a lot of the baggage that otherwise accompanies such, such work relationships, right? You, you're not spending time on toxic stuff. You're just spending time on, on building amazing stuff. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I don't know if our listeners picked up on, you know, to build a business in, in, in the U S is, is wholeheartedly, I believe a gift, right? I don't, don't really think a lot of people have an understanding of, of what life is like outside of the US, you know? And, and look, I've been to Copenhagen, in my opinion, that is the friendliest city in the world, right? Mm -hmm. I love Copenhagen. And I think that the, the sheer fact that you can come into a country to where English is truly a second language for you. Culture, culturally, it's completely different, right? And you can build a business, build success, not once, twice, right? I, I, I really think that 
it should allow people to remove any reason or any excuse why they can't. I mean, let's face it, if it was easy, everyone would do it. However, it is simple. It just truly takes determination and patience and desire and grind and focus and persistence, determination and, and sacrifice, and probably a lot of other verbs and adjectives that I have omitted. And to come into this country, what was your hardest obstacle to, to build a new business? You know, you talked about cultural differences and stuff, uh, mm -hmm. which, which I know from a lot of peers and friends who made similar journeys have been issues. Um, personally, I've, I've worked in different countries, so that ceased to be too much of an issue because I've worked in other places. And Good. before we moved here, um, I used to travel here about five times a year because we built out a team here, which is a testament to what you just said. It was amazing that I could be sitting in India and incorporate a company here in the States and have a team here in the US of amazing sales and marketing people who were, who were um, you know, who understood the domain, mm -hmm. who had worked with agencies, which were a big segment for us at Unmetric um, in New York and other places and understood that DNA. And you could tap into tech talent in, in places like India, where I was based at that point. So you could really blend and it's almost like cooking an exotic dish where you get ingredients that are best of breed from different countries. Yeah. And uh, I was fortunate to be able to do that and, uh, you know, travel here about four or five times a year. Um, and we raised a round of funding, our second round of funding at that point when um, the investors literally said, look, we love what you're doing, but we believe you need to be based uh, stateside and it's high time you made a move and which, which kind of made sense. But with two kids in middle school and high school at that point, you wonder about a whole bunch of things that can go wrong, which was really the biggest things in our head saying, well, you know, this thing of, are you sacrificing their um, adjustability or, or rocking their board in terms of comfort levels just to accommodate what you're trying to accomplish in terms of your own dreams? Yeah. And that that was difficult at that time from a personal level because it was a big shift for a family to, to move over here. Um, in retrospect, everything worked out pretty well. They hit the ground running. They made a ton of friends. They loved it here. So, you know, sometimes as parents, you worry about a lot of things that don't come to bear. Yeah. Um, but but being here, um, we were suddenly witness to um, the fact that there's this knowledge in the air, just, just being in the ecosystem that your clients inhabit, right? I told you about how we built a, a product for restaurant owners without visiting a single restaurant owner. Yeah. <laughs> which, um, again, in retrospect, very, very stupid. But if you live, breathe with people who run restaurants, you will build a product that, that actually solves a pain point for them. Mm -hmm. uh, now that we were living in the ecosystem of brands and agencies here in the States that we had been selling to, it was much easier to develop product and things for them faster because uh, you you could you know derive a sense of empathy in terms of what they were they were feeling and doing in their daily jobs, which is a little difficult to do with distance, right? So yeah. I think it kind of short circuited some of those, and, and some of those took some adjusting and and stuff from from the obvious cultural differences, but um, it it was very welcoming and easy, and and I'm glad we made that transition because it certainly paved the way for Unmetric to solve a lot more pain points than it would have otherwise. You know, I love, I, I love your answer and, and I kind of want to step back and, and break it down. Uh, listeners, I, I, I don't know if you, if you caught this, but when I posed the question to Lux, he really had a hard time looking for an obstacle. I mean, what, what did Jim Rohn say forever? If you want something bad enough, you'll find a way. And if you don't, you'll find an excuse, right? When I asked Lux the question, he really had to search for an obstacle. See, the difference between a business owner, an entrepreneur that makes it versus one that doesn't is some view things as opportunities, other views things as obstacles. So when you start your growth, your journey, your business, you really come to a fork in the road. And that fork is the path of obstacles or the path of opportunity. You know, if you really unwind everything Lux just said, he talked about the opportunity on, on the entire journey. And he really struggled to find any obstacle in it. Reality is, if, if you 
if you have a passion, if you have a capability, if you have a desire, a drive, if you have a, a product, service, or solution that fills needs, wants, and desires out there, you're standing at the, the actual point to make a decision. Am I going to go down the path of obstacles or am I going to go down the path of opportunity? And you can't fake that one to make it. Fake it till you make it doesn't work. It's either seeing an opportunity in everything. And sometimes opportunities come disguised as obstacles, right? They look like it's going to be an uphill battle or it's going to be a detour. And reality is it's just expressing, showing us a new way to look at things. It's presenting to us the opportunity to shift what we're doing because this way didn't work. So we get to learn a hundred other ways that could or should, right? So awesome. I, I really love how you answered that. And, and, and thank you for going so deep with that answer because I think that was a beautiful gift you just gave people. Welcome, thank you. So, so Lux, you know, especially with the pandemic, you know, the, the world has gotten a lot smaller, um, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> you know, technology has, has streamlined everything, right? So the world's gotten a lot smaller and it's gotten a lot bigger too. And bigger because technology's allowed people to become less accessible smaller because technology's made it easier for us to connect. So it's really a paradox. It's really a dichotomy, right? So what advice could you give that person just starting out or really frustrated and stuck? Let's, let's talk about the just starting out part first, right? Because the frustrated and stuck as a presupposition of you've gone down a certain path, you've invested in something, you desire that this is what you want to do, and you're kind of stuck there. So I think it, it's, it's a little different from the person starting off altogether, although there are obvious similarities. Um, the, the greatest advice I, I would give um, someone in the first one is, and actually, let's, let's, let's rewind back. Uh, you know, these little um, five-hour energy bottles that you get in, in all these gas stations and everything? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so these were the, the companies is a multi-billion dollar company and the founder is a guy called uh, Manoj Bhargava, who's actually doing a lot of interesting projects with water right now. Reason I bring him up is he gave this amazing speech, which struck a chord with me where he said uh, something pretty obvious, but, but uh, powerful, which is if you're doing something, you know, make sure it's, it's um, useful. If it's not useful, make sure it's fun. And if it's not useful and it's not fun, uh, it's there's only one other bucket which is useless. <laughs> I like that. Right. Um, and this useful and fun dichotomy, if you if you actually think about it, uh, comes across in every sphere in, in in the world. If you open the New York Times book review, you have a nonfiction section which is useful. You have a fiction section which is fun. Mm -hmm. If you go into Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime, you have the documentaries, which is useful. You have the rest of the stuff, which all of us binge watch more than we, we promise ourselves we will. But that's the fun part of it, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been a firm believer in the fact that interesting stuff happens in the intersections of these things, in the intersections of different areas, in the intersections of useful and fun. Mm -hmm. When you can make work fun and when you can make fun things useful, that's when interesting stuff happens, right? Yeah. And intersections only happen if you if you can occupy different worlds. Stream Alive was born because I occupied the world of someone teaching a coach teaching me how to write and another coach teaching me how to how to edit for an audience and someone else teaching me how to market. Right? Um, from the intersection of all those different things, if I'd just gone for one of them, I wouldn't have, have experienced this. And that was that kind of intersected with my own tech background at Unmetric, where we worked with data and trying to make sense out of it. So tech and and this and the creator economy and meeting a whole bunch of folks who were who were on YouTube and and Facebook trying to engage audiences, and then suddenly all that translates into an aha moment, which mm -hmm. is that initial seed. And 
of course many steps after that in terms of conviction and being you know working on on it long and hard enough before uh, stuff starts to happen but i think living in different worlds and therefore giving and expanding your uh, someone called it serendipity surface area and i think that's a beautiful expression that the more worlds you inhabit the more serendipity surface area you you can expand and uh, therefore the more possibility of interesting stuff at those intersections right yeah. it's as i think about it it's actually similar for the second bucket as well because that second thing about being stuck is exactly what you described for for me in 2010 when we were banging our heads uh, or 2012 actually after we started eyes and feet when we were banging our heads for two years without any progress mm-hmm. but that's when we went into different worlds uh, into banks and other places and stuff and then suddenly those intersections are where we found new opportunities mm-hmm. yeah uh, i i think when when these things happen and problems happen sometimes we have a natural thing to kind of you know like an ostrich kind of bury your head in the sand or go inward mm-hmm. but sometimes the solution is actually in going outward right i mean seeing those other worlds uh, not to say it always translates into something but at least you're increasing the probability of something happening mm-hmm. from those other spheres that you're you're occupying i, I don't know if that made sense but But, yeah, but that, that kind of how how I look at it, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I love that. I I love that answer. I think that, I think that, so many people, and and I've said this on on multiple podcasts. So many people hear that zero to hero story. They hear the outhouse to penthouse story, and it could take someone. Well, you know, in a TEDx world, it could take them, you know, less than twelve minutes to talk about it in. in in youtube it can take anywhere from 1 minute to 20 minutes to talk about it and that creates a false sense of expectation that that things should happen quickly and and the terminology quickly in success is a very relative statement because reality is like you said it's got to be useful fun or useless right and if you have a need want and desire for a product service and solution you know deploying deploying good business practices is not all you need right you you brought it up earlier you you've got to market and if you're not a marketing expert you need to stay out of marketing right you you've got to network and there are varying degrees of networking out there now you know pre covid it was industry connecting it was you know connecting with other business owners that had the same perspective clients as we did and adding value to each other in today's world in this digital world people are taking that concept of networking and truly diluting it not all right uh, i don't know about you I cringe every time I get on LinkedIn or every time I get on Facebook or Instagram because I probably have 50 to 100 spam messages on there. Buy from me, buy from me. Oh, I connected with you. I love what you do. I think you need this. How do you think I need that? You know nothing about me, all right? So yes. I think I think the the era that we're in now migrating the the human relationship the offline relationship with the online relationship there's a delusion in how to build relationships and i think it all starts with that zero to hero the path to success is as hard or simple as you choose to allow it to be and reality is no matter who we are and what we do we need a level of human relationship and that that networking that that you brought up earlier rarely do i hear somebody in the digital space utilize that world because you know that's that's a world where human connection really doesn't exist because people hide behind the camera they hide behind the microphone however stream alive was in my humble opinion it's bringing the two worlds together it's allowing your your interface your perspective future client to connect with you and engage with you where it's never really happens like that before you know so 
in, I, I, I'd like to talk about two areas. First, how did networking help you? Because I think so many struggle with networking today. My humble opinion, they do it wrong for the most part, generalizing. And then the second question, how does Stream Alive bring the human element back into it? Because I think that's so important for content deliverers. So on, on the first part, um, to be very candid uh, and, and a bit ironical considering I ran a social media analytics company, um, call, call me old school, but I still find, uh, and I think you alluded to, to parts of the challenges with it, the, the kind of faceless digital connections that happen, um, especially polluted by the, the um, you know, by agenda-led connections that happen on platforms like LinkedIn. Uh, so I just find that still a little difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and I often find platforms like LinkedIn as a great fallback to people you first meet in in real life, right? So, or, or even Facebook for that matter. So, uh, you know, connecting with someone in real life and then after that mirroring that connection on a social network allows you to stay cognizant of what's happening in your life in a way that wasn't otherwise possible. So. I like to see it as a mirror to real life as opposed to uh, the the real life itself. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of it has been about uh, being genuine in terms of um, you know reaching out to people and and having conversations with them. I'll give you one an example. Uh, yesterday I saw a LinkedIn post by a person who who whose first job was at Unmetric uh, about six years back, and he's an entrepreneur now. He started something new. I just shot him a message saying, I, I was so thrilled to see this, right? I know you always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I don't know what, but your domain is totally different, but let me know how I can help, right? And he, I mean, here's a young entrepreneur who's just starting off his first gig by himself. And apparently this meant a huge deal for him, just receiving a message from his first CEO. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was just a small micro validation of the fact that he's doing something interesting. And sometimes, when, especially when you're in your downs, it kind of, helps and i've had a couple of people tell me that we underestimate how much that little human ping sometimes matters uh but but i just find doing it without an agenda and, and i've done that very often every week i have at least two meetings which are which i declare at the onset to the person i'm meeting with that this is an agenda less meeting i have no agenda in this meeting i don't mm -hmm. expect anything at the end of it uh, so if you do or something please let me know because i'm here because i think you, you're a tripped out person and we'd be better off just knowing each other and that's it and that. those are translated into some amazing things six months down the line and some have not translated into anything from a business perspective but they've been amazing friends mm -hmm. so i think embracing networking in the original spirit in which it was intended which is actually you know connecting with people who who are different who have a different dna who have different life experiences i mean i like to think of it as all of us are books in a library and you're seeing each person and saying, what's your story? What's your story? What's your story? Mm -hmm. And, and um, if you approach it from that perspective, it's, it's kind of different from the way the, the tech platforms would like us to look at it. And, and, and I think there's benefit in that, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I love your, your comment about the human ping. You know, if we took agendas off the table, and just allowed ourselves to have the human experience. You know, if, if they share, they being someone on social media, if they share a similar perspective client as you, then there's huge opportunity there for both of you. However, if you show up in a space of solicitation, then the opportunity or chance for that human connection to happen is going to be non-existent, right? And in my opinion, you know, I get very turned off when someone starts the relationship with buy from me. You know, the, the, the crudest way I can explain it is if you wouldn't go out to meet someone, have their baby and get married all in the same day, why do you <laughs> act like that in the digital marketing arena? <laughs> So true. So true. <laughs> it's crazy, right? That, that's exactly what it is, actually. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, let's, let's hit the second part of that question and how Stream Alive 
really brings the human element back to engagement. Because when I was looking into your platform, I, I wholeheartedly believe it's the missing piece in the digital world. It really is. So, so I, I, I get the journey on how you build it. Can we talk a little bit about the benefits for people to use it? So um, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, that, that question and that you asked it after asking the previous question and today, which is a week from last week, and I'll explain why all of those things sit well together. Yeah, um, I'm glad you asked that question because Stream Alive, as the name suggests, is to make live streams alive. And we say, you know, we want to move audiences from 95% ignored to 95% engaged, right? Uh, what that tells you is two things. One is that uh, you cannot go to 100%. If any vendor or any company tells you you can do 100%, they're, they're, they're probably lying. Mm -hmm. It's just that you, you try to move things to make them better than what they are right now. You cannot replicate the human experience. You cannot replace it, but you can improve certain things, make them better. Right? We talked about pings, and um, a lot of Stream Alive is inspired by you know things you see in large group settings and i'll give you a couple of examples um one of them is a very obvious thing from music concerts where you see a certain ebb and flow between the performer and the audience right where, where the, the performer sings something like hey oh, and the audience sings back and then there's a there's there's almost like a give and take there's a yeah. there's a wave that's oscillating within the arena which is beautiful mm -hmm. uh, Last week, actually not even last week, this this Saturday, my uh, wife and I, along with our kids, we, we were in the UK and we watched an Arsenal game uh, in, in London. And uh, my wife, who's also a co-founder at Stream Alive, we've, uh, we've figured out how to live together and work together, both at Unmetric and at Stream Alive. Nice. Uh, thank you. And, and you know, we, we were at the stadium and uh, you, you had people almost, you, you have to wonder how a stadium of tens of thousands of people can sing in perfect unison, uh, sing out a song or a chorus or have a taunt that's going from one end of the stadium to the other, have a Mexican wave going in perfect sing, people who never met each other. There's something in that collective mass which which resonates together, which is hugely underestimated, right? Yeah. Uh, we were looking at that and both of us looking, saying, you know, can we recreate parts of this at Stream Alive, for example, right? Mm. And the singular thing that binds both these experiences that I described is, is context. Because in a stadium, when people are singing an Arsenal chant or, or something else or doing a Mexican wave, you're not going to have someone doing a breakdance in the middle of it. You're not going to have someone saying, I'd like to order a small pizza with, uh, you know, with jalapenos or something, right? Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to have out of context stuff. It's, there is a certain commonality at that space and time in terms of what people are saying, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what we notice within these live streams as well, that when you ask people where you're coming from, people are going to say something which is a geography. So the big insight there was if you have something that's within one-tenth of a second, recognizing a place from their answers and mapping it and showing a, literally a world lighting up like a Christmas tree as people answer, mm -hmm. which the presenter then reflects back to the audience, it is that to and fro saying, you told me where you're coming from. Look at this map coming to life with all your locations. Yeah. Or you ask people saying, what is the most important characteristic you think a human being needs as an entrepreneur? People are not going to say, um, you know, soccer or football or baseball or something like that. They are going to say you know, characteristics, right? Human characteristics. And if you do a word cloud around that, for example, some characteristics are going to be more dominant, some are less. And there's going to be a natural, some words becoming small and some becoming big. It's going to be that ebb and flow that's kind of replicated over there, right? Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do with a lot of the features that we do, I mean, our broad pitches, we help you track, increase, and convert engagement. But it's rooted in trying to capture the ebb and flow that comes from groups being together because there is a certain context to it, which is what we're trying to replicate at, at, at Stream Alive. I love that. I love that, which, which leads me to our signature question of the show, Lux, and that is, what does selling without selling mean to you? That was the best thing I loved about your show. Besides uh, listening to the episodes, I thought your title was was brilliant. Right? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it it it's 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 
so you know it sticks so well and um, i'm not saying this just because i'm i'm a guest on your podcast i truly believe this right selling without selling um and i'm going to explain that in two contexts as to why i truly believe it um, i'm and and have done that in both our startups at unmetric and let's stream alive and i'll actually tell you how we're doing selling without selling in both those instances you know i worked in advertising about more than 20 20 years ago and at that point someone gave me this this analogy that you're probably familiar with which is that um, rather than take a hose and spray and pray or hose down a single person you know put a pool of water out there and ask them to to jump in the second one is always the better option i'm mm-hmm. sure i killed a whole bunch of things in that analogy but that was the gist of it right <laughs> i So, so that's something that stuck in my head, and this other thing which we talked about earlier, which is the intersection of of useful and fun, being a very interesting space to occupy. So, um, we try to take those things forward uh, at Unmetric. So, for example, we had amazing data on what over a hundred thousand brands were saying and doing on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, which is what brands were paying us for. So, we used to create beautiful, quirky, funny infographics, for example. that would be very topical and resonant with what's happening at that time so i still remember when the olympics happened around 2015 i can't remember the exact year um was it 2016 or 12 okay around 2016 or so we put up we put an infographic on all the major brands who were sponsors of the olympics and what they were doing on social media and did a kind of a you know almost like a 100 meter sprint between the brands to see who's winning and stuff mm-hmm. like that and then mm-hmm. who's winning the high jump so you treat the brands as metaphorical people and see how they would fare against each other in an olympics of brands that is with social media as the prize as opposed to how fast or something you go right mm-hmm. so brought that to life in a beautiful visual and just put it out everywhere it suddenly caught on a life of its own and we actually signed up a couple of clients from there who looked at it and said where did you guys get this data i need to check you out let me go to metric.com yeah sure i'll take a demo because uh one this piqued my curiosity second i didn't like to be number 2 in that behind some other brands i want to know why i was number 2 <laughs> and not number 1 either way i want to have a meeting and have a conversation so so that became a big thing for us i mean using our data to get meetings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um another instance there we used to go to events and we'd see who the speaker lineup is so there'd be a speaker from burger king we'd create a customized deck on Burger King versus Pizza Hut versus Hardee's versus McDonald's, wow. and it would be a customized deck that we would give to them, saying, "Hey, here's something for your flight back," and uh, we would print it and laminate it so he couldn't tear it and throw it, and uh, he would actually read it, and then uh, you know some of so we we it was I think selling without selling because it was like here's something we think will be useful for you. and uh, you know use it share it with your team and a lot of them loved it because it was amazing data for free right yeah absolutely uh, and i took a leaf off exactly that book for stream alive so we said rather than do events that say look how cool our technology is look how we can repurpose the live chat in a zoom webinar or a zoom meeting or a youtube live session into amazing audience interactions and visuals let's actually have events that bring these to life So a launch event when we first showcased the product was a hip hop and beatboxing event. Oh wow. With a hip hop artist who's a friend who is uh, here in New York and is part of Freestyle Love Supreme which Lin Manuel Miranda started around Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And um, you know so he and a beatboxer they were asking the audience what kind of music they wanted to do. The audience were f- giving inputs and he was freestyle improv rapping based on the words that the audience was saying. So it was truly interactive. It was fun for the people, and we had actually showcased about three different features of Stream Alive without people even realizing it. Because as far as they were concerned, they were participating in a free concert by two talented people. Right? Yeah. Our most recent showcase event was an improv comedy show, which is also ties back to that point of occupying different worlds. Uh, I love improv comedy. I've been a fan, and I went for classes here in New York City. So that obviously lends itself very well to. to what we do at stream alive mm-hmm. so we had 14 different options where opportunities in a one hour improv show where the audience was asked things like okay these two performers they're in a place where they cannot get out and they're stuck with each other give us examples of a place and the audience is saying it's an elevator it's a covid uh, hospital it is this and they're giving all <laughs> kinds of examples yeah. and then the improvisers picked one of them and started acting it out and putting a show then they said okay which country are they from they give examples of country it shows up in a thing so we were showcasing stream alive we were selling stream alive yeah 
through an improv comedy show people were having fun we were educating them and give, showing them something useful it was the intersection of both uh, but we were not selling and, and i think we in, in a way we were selling without selling so so yeah. that's why i totally loved you know the title of your podcast how you bring it to life and and was grateful for the opportunity to be here no oh, well thank you you know i i i think uh, we have we share a very very common belief and that is when we step into people's map of reality and speak into their listening, we never have to sell because they're standing on a platform of comfort that they created. They have a need, want, and desire for the product, service, and solution. And because they can see it and hear it and feel it and it makes sense to them, they end up embracing it. I it's It's been wholeheartedly the platform that that I I stand on on a continual basis. Absolutely, so, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, totally. <laughs> yeah. So Lux, welcome to the random round. I believe success leaves clues, and I like to ask very specific questions from my expert guests, so that our listeners can say, you know what, I really like that, and I want to apply to myself. So I have two questions for you. First one's easy. Second one's easy. So the first one, the first one, how do you decompress? How do you recharge? So um, I think the book I mentioned, Name, Place, Animal Thing, is, is actually a, a personal mantra for me that, that I follow to, to kind of decompress and, and recharge. Mm -hmm. And it goes in reverse order. So although the book reads Name, Place, Animal Thing, it actually goes in the sequence of Thing, Animal, Place, Name, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I sound like a kindergarten student, so let me explain what those four things mean. <laughs> no, you sound like Dr. Seuss. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, so think is very simple, right? Uh, make things and, and uh, make things, you know, right now we have a propensity to make a lot of things that are virtual and digital. Yeah. But there are two axes in this. There's a physical axis and a virtual axis. And, and, you know, it encourages people to make things with their hands as well, because I think a lot of us forget that there is pleasure in actually creating things with their hands and yeah. stuff like this, cooking, folding paper, whatever, right? Um, so, so that's a big thing for me also personally. I do that. I love, we talked about origami a little bit in the introduction. I think folding paper into patterns is is mm -hmm. very, very therapeutic. My first company was called Tech Origami because we folded pages of HTML into beautiful web applications. Wow. <laughs> so uh, again, you know, worlds colliding, so to speak. So so making stuff, uh, whether it's making a new dish in the weekend or or making something in the digital realm, whether it's an infographic or whatever, is is big for me, right? Uh, the animal part is, is basically a, a big thing of how I personally decompress, right? We've got the you know, the the body, brain, and in between the breath. And a lot of things we think about tend to be in the fast side of things. Yes. But I think embracing the slow side of it. So um, I'm a big fan of meditation. One of the things I did, I don't do it as often as I think I should or would like to, but before founding Stream Alive, uh, I wanted to be, you know, being an entrepreneur and signing up for this treadmill of doing a tech company and a product company and, doing it all over again after the trials and tribulations that you know are going to happen is, is a huge commitment, right? Yeah. I, I wanted more clarity at that point uh, on why I was doing it and whether I, I wanted to do it. So I actually went for this 10-day um, silent meditation where you surrender your phone on the first day and you get it after 10 days. You don't speak a word to a single human being for 10 days. Wow. Uh, so there's zero conversation. You don't have any book writing material, reading material, television screens or anything. And you basically, it's non-denominational, non-religious. You're just getting in touch with your breath mm -hmm. and, and stuff. And uh, that's something I still rewind back to on a, on a regular basis to kind of decompress. Mm -hmm. uh, place is about uh, traveling, which is not just traveling far and wide as we've been often taught, but traveling near and narrow. I mean, I find amazing hikes less than 15 minutes from here where I live in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. uh, local areas to discover so traveling near and narrow is is another thing i do very often to decompress mm -hmm. and and name is really the fact that doing all of these things will translate into us wearing multiple hats beyond just what we do for a, for a living and job so i like to think i i do some of those things as often as i'd like and and that's that's a big part of decompressing just doing those other things that make life life so so interesting and and worth living right i love that i absolutely love that 
So now you have my curiosity peaked. If, if it's actually in reverse, then why didn't you title it in reverse? So the, there's, a, there's a game that's very popular in, um, in India and a few other countries, which I played as a kid, mm -hmm. which is actually called Name Place Animal Thing. Nice. So the book was an interesting um, thing. It, it's not exactly based on the game, but uh, mm -hmm. obviously there are connections. So uh, I wanted to tie into that familiarity that a certain segment has with it. And it also rolls off the tongue a lot better than thing animal place names. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. My last random round question for you. And I, and I suspect I, I can anticipate where this is going. Um, what does your morning ritual look like? Oh, okay. Now, now I know why you suspect you know where this is going. But <laughs> um, And this is, uh, let me talk about what my ritual has been for the last two weeks because that's what I would like it to be. So, um, yeah. which is getting up, reminding myself that I promised last night that I will not touch my phone the first thing in the morning when I wake up. Nice. Uh, I don't do it every time, but I now do it about four out of five times, which I'm happy about. And and mm -hmm. I think sometimes we get too hard on ourselves. We said we aim for that hundred percent, but four out of five is is better than one out of five that it was a couple of weeks back, right? Good. Uh, so so try to stay off my phone for the first half hour hour or so because that kind of moves your mind in so many different directions, right? It does it does and, it, it it absolutely affects your brain waves? Yeah, and and then I just um come downstairs and then sit in a quiet place for less than five minutes actually and and some i mean i aim for 10 minutes sometimes i do 10 sometimes i do 15 sometimes i just do five because i've got an early morning meeting or something mm -hmm. but at least just an average of 10 minutes of quiet time where where it's just basic observing your breath kind of meditation it just centers you just gets you ready for a lot of things not thinking about anything else mm -hmm. and then there's this uh two or three minutes stretching routine that I become a fan of that I, that I do after that, because um, I think that's important. I mean, there've been so many days where you kind of walk out cold and you suddenly twist something or stuff. So I, I do that. Mm -hmm. So that's about 15 minutes. That's exclusively for you, which starts the day in a nice way and also reminds you that it's, it's important to give out, give time for yourself as well, because with all yeah. these things that all of us do, it's very easy to forget that. Right. So it's good to remember that that's a priority. I love that. And then a good cup of coffee and reading a bit of the newspaper, finally looking at the phone and succumbing to that. So, so th that's typically what my morning looks like. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I love, I, I, after you answered the first question, I figured that you would have some quiet time and movement in there for self to re-engage with your mind, your body, your spirit. So, you know, I've studied um, a lot from, uh, Ayurvedic beliefs and 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 through through Deepak and just uh, a lot of his uh, nutritional and meditation and spiritual. So I, as you were answering my first question, I heard a lot of that coming up, and I was like, okay, I think I can anticipate where the next one's going. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lux, I got to tell you, it has been uh, an incredible, incredible journey speaking with you. I completely appreciate you being on our show. If our listeners want to reach out, find you, follow you, connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, so I'm on all the platforms, not as prolific as I like. LinkedIn is probably the best place. Mm -hmm. um, but a good starting point is, is simply my personal website, which is luxnarayan.com. And, and it's, it's got links to where I can be reached and, and all of that. So luxnarayan.com is probably the best place. Mm -hmm. And if any of your listeners would like to, um, you know, look at, learn more about Stream Alive, it's, it's, it's streamalive.com. So luxnarayan.com and streamalive.com are, are probably good places. Oh, well, fantastic. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on, Lux. Seriously. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Hey, listeners, your success is important to me. And it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you and for you. I would love for you to do three things right now. First, I'd love for you to head over to Facebook, join our Sell Without Selling community. That's head over to Facebook, join our Sell Without Selling community. Second, I'd love for you to jump over to Instagram and follow us at the Stacey O'Byrne. 
That's jump over to Instagram, follow us at the Stacey O'Byrne. And last and definitely not least, I'd love to chat with you, get feedback on these episodes and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this show more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success that you've always dreamed of, desired, and know you deserve. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacey. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacey. Let's get a 15 minute call on the schedule. And always remember this, choice is a powerful thing and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so you can get on your way so you can finally have your way. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication, or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.